Good morning. Uh, today we'll be reading Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 31. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 31. Now I'll be reading from the ESV. And, ha- and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the end and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Amen. It's a great honor and a privilege to be with you today. I appreciate Brother Somyoung praying that, that I would go off script if the Lord would lead and he knows me well and that might happen. Who knows? But I just want to answer the question that Pastor John led us through that was so sweet of telling the Lord what we're grateful for, of our relationship with him. And I, I felt the tenderness in my heart that I'm so grateful he's gentle with me. That when I mess up, and I've messed up and continue to mess up, I wish it was like a two years ago I stopped messing up because I really figured it out now. But this is, you know, week by week we discover, man, I keep messing up. And I'm so grateful that the Lord is gentle. And my prayer today is that I release a message that is quite hard to receive, actually. But I pray that the Lord's gentleness would come forth as I share this passage that is so personally meaningful for me. I have the honor of closing out this sermon series entitled Conversations with Jesus. This is sermon number five. And our hope, and actually Pastor John led us through a time of prayer, and he shared that the hope of this series is not that we're just listening to stories that happened 2,000 years ago with someone else that had a conversation with Jesus. That would in itself be enough, but the Lord made the Bible to be living and active. What that means is that As we read this passage today, the sword of the Spirit can speak to our individual souls. That we could hear Jesus' heart speak to us. And as I mentioned, that it would come forth from a place of gentleness. That's the prayer today. Maybe in the first series, in the first sermon, I'm sorry, the first sermon, the woman with the issue of blood, you 
saw yourself as one who was willing to break any cultural norm. It didn't matter what the cost was. It didn't matter what people thought of you. You're like screaming Jesus and everyone's turning around like, what, that, what is that person doing? But have you been in a place that you were so desperate you didn't care what anyone thought? Perhaps you've resonated with that woman with the issue of blood. In our second sermon, it was the Samaritan woman, the woman who had tried to find her sense of security, her sense of joy, her sense of fulfillment in places that ultimately wouldn't satisfy. Do you remember she had five husbands and even the man that she was with now was not her husband and she was left feeling the emptiness of it all. The prophet Jeremiah calls it cisterns that don't have water. We look to many things in our life, even good things, even relationships, even a marriage itself can be a broken cistern if we don't look to Jesus as the one with living water. Maybe that story spoke to you. And you hear the Holy Spirit saying, if only you would drink of the living water today. Maybe you've been on the other side of a rebuke from the Lord. There are times when we need that rebuke. You know, Pastor Susie led us through the story of the Pharisees where Jesus was saying, woe to you. You make everything look good on the outside, right? You've got the cups, the plates, they all look so clean. But on the inside, what's really the state? Maybe there's really a brokenness inside of you. And there are times when we need that wake-up call that... There is real sin, and we're just trying to deal with all the externals, that religious life, but inside, we're empty. Or maybe it was last week, the passage of Peter, when he felt most disqualified, most like he had blown it and there was no coming back. I'll just go back to fishing. The call on my life for ministry certainly must be over at this point. I'm no better than all the other disciples. And I said, Lord, they all may leave you, but you don't understand. I'm the rock. I'm the one that's not going anywhere. You can count on me. And yet, in that moment of greatest disappointment, that greatest shame, Jesus restores him. Perhaps you heard the conversation with Jesus through that passage. And today, the final session is what's called the rich young ruler. This man who had a sense that there was more to life. There was actually a sermon that was preached here at New Philly uh, to to the college campus called Emmaus Campus Ministries. And it was entitled, Made for More. And I felt that the Holy Spirit spoke that to me today. That he's saying that there is, that you are made for more. That we are made for more. And I believe this man, the rich young ruler, had that in his heart, knowing that he was made for more. And we're going to look at that today. Again, my prayer is that you would hear the story of Jesus as if you were the rich young ruler, as if he is speaking to you today. That you would hear his gentleness, but the conviction in his heart that come from a place of love. You are made for more. No matter how much success... There is a greater purpose that perhaps we're missing out on. And he's inviting us to this today. So the first question is, who is this main character? He's called the rich young ruler. And so this may seem a little obvious, but he's one rich, he's two young, and he's three, he's a ruler. So what does it mean that he's rich? It says that he has a lot of possessions. He has a lot of land. His money is flowing. He's got what's called passive income. 
All right, like if you're if you're an English teacher, you know, you can go from like 30,000 won to 35,000 won to 40,000 won, but at some point you can only make as much money as the hours that you work, right? That's called active income. You're actively working to make more money. But this guy figured out how I go to sleep, other people are working and I'm still coming in with bank at the end of the day. He had it rolling. He was an early investor in Bitcoin, if you will. I was just sharing to a friend that I heard about Bitcoin, by the way, in 2011, and I didn't think that would take off, and I terribly regret that. <laughs> just $1,000 would have been a million dollars today. But anyways, this man, unlike me, he, he chose to invest in Bitcoin. Number two, he was young. He was not only rich, but he's also young. He had his whole life ahead of him, and yet he had achieved so much. If he wasn't married, you talk about an eligible bachelor. This is the guy. He would be the kind of guy on what's called the Forbes 30 under 30 list. So my interest used to be in things, all things related to Forbes. So I would learn like the billionaire list and I'll get to my story in a minute. But the richest people that were in the world and, and then there was one list that was 30 people that are under 30 years old. And these were people who had achieved the great pinnacles of success in their field. They were, you know, the leaders of tech. They were the leaders of the medical field. They were the leader of music, whatever. But they, at just a young age, they were the, you know, they would achieve such great success. This is the kind of guy he was, the Forbes 30 under 30 list. He was a mover and a shaker and was undoubtedly the youngest of successful people around him. And then finally, he was a ruler. Now, this one is a little confusing because when you hear ruler, you're probably thinking like governmental ruler, right? Like he's like a senator or a mayor or a you know, president. But in scripture, that's probably not what it means here. It probably means that he was a leader among the religious group. So he was probably like in the synagogue leader or he was a member of what's called the Sanhedrin, the religious group that would make the final discussions uh, related to the, to the Jewish people in terms of a religious activity. And so he was not only rich, he was not only young, but he was also influential. He was well-liked. People cared about what his, his, his opinion was on things, and they would listen to him. He was like an elder in the church, basically. So this man had it all going for him. And I also want to highlight him as a picture of success, even in his interaction with Jesus. Now, the story ends... Terribly sad, right? He's considered a failure in terms of what the ultimate situation is, that he walks away from the Lord. And I think we tend to go to that too quickly, and we don't see even the, the positive elements that we can take from the story. There's actually four positive aspects of this interaction that I want to highlight today. He did many things right. Let's look at them together. Number one, this man had the right urgency. It reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood that we talked about. When you're desperate for a breakthrough, you're going to make sure that you find a way to get it. The Bible loves these kind of stories. Those who are willing to pay any price to get what they're looking for. Those who are willing to cry out like, blind Bartimaeus. Do you remember the blind man? He screams out and he said, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Doesn't matter what other people think of him. He understood that this was urgent. He runs to him. This is pretty amazing considering, remember, he's the rich young ruler. You probably wouldn't imagine. Think of like the highest position, you know, person around you that you can think of, whether it's like your boss, if you work for a huge company, you're probably not going to see a boss of a Fortune 500 company sprinting around like they're late to a meeting, right? That's usually the underlings that are like all stressed because they could be fired if they don't show up on time. But this was a man who had great dignity, who was looked at, you know, to have prestige, and yet he's running to Jesus. He had urgency that was in his heart. He's serious about it. By the way, notice that he's still polite in his interaction. What does he say? He says, good teacher. The oriental custom at that time was he would say, good teacher. And then usually the the teacher would respond like, good sir, do you have a question? Jesus actually skirts that conventional norm of the day. And he just goes right to to the heart issue. It's kind of like in Korea, you know, like, you know, like, there is a, a, a desire to, uh, to be very polite. And I want us to see this. Urgency doesn't mean that you have to be rude, by the way. You can still be polite, and yet you're determined to be able to get this answer. And also, urgency doesn't mean that it's associated with stress. Right? The Bible says that we're not to be anxious for anything. But with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we make our requests known to God. And so... He was urgent and determined in going after this question, but it doesn't have to be from a place of stress. Instead, it can be from a place of peace. The takeaway, though, is that he was not apathetic. He does not say, you know, it would be nice one day if I could find a greater meaning in my life, if I could get an answer to this question. Kind of like sometimes people talk about, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I got a nice job one day? But there's no effort. There's not sending out your resume. This man was not apathetic. He was determined to go after it. He wants to find it today. He does not rely on God's sovereignty. And what I mean by that is, the reason I put sovereignty in quotes like that is because, of course, we rely on the Lord's sovereignty. We believe that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But sometimes faith actually means we have to make an effort to go connect with Jesus, to ask him these questions. Not just like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to stay at home, watch movies all day, play video games. And if he wants to speak to me, he knows where I live. No, there's actually an effort of not being apathetic to get what we're looking for. So that's the first point. Second, he had the right question. What does he ask? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Is there a bigger question than that? And what I don't want us to do now is to check out and think, I know many of us have our confidence and assurance in the Lord. Right? If an unbeliever were to ask you, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You would probably say something to the effect of what Romans tells us. You need to believe in your heart that God, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that God the Father raised him from the dead, and confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. Right? Believe in the gospel. That first step of salvation. That's what's called justification. But sanctification is this whole life of 
being conformed to the image of Christ, that one day we know that when he comes back, we're going to have a new body and our hearts are going to be made completely pure before him. We're not going to be in sin any longer. And I want us to think about this sanctification idea that the question of eternal life, what does John 17 say? Eternal life is that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, eternal life is a relationship with the Lord that does not have obstacles holding us down from being able to experience the fullness of that which we were made for. This man knew there was something deeper to life. We may understand intellectually that money doesn't buy happiness, as this man had great money and wealth. But he could not shake the feeling that no matter how many properties he had, how much passive income he had, how well the Bitcoin price was, he was still not happy. The sad part is many of us have to experience this for for ourselves to believe this is true. Here's one man, Jim Carrey, a famous comedian. He says this. He says, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so that they will know it's not the answer. No matter how much success he had, he couldn't shake the feeling of there's got to be more. Even when he would use his gifts and talents for good things, right? It's like sometimes people make a lot of money and then they say, I'm going to go into philanthropy. I'm going to go into charity. I'm going to try to help people. I'm going to try to serve a little bit at my church just so that I can feel a little bit better and fulfilled. Even that will not fulfill you. Remember, this was guy was a ruler in the synagogue. He was helping out at his church, so to speak. But he still couldn't shake the feeling of, Nothing else is going to satisfy me than this question of, how do I inherit eternal life? This is because Ecclesiastes tells us, eternity is written on our hearts. Only God can fulfill this longing that's inside of us. He has created that, that space that nothing, even the best things, even marriage itself, even having kids, none of that is going to satisfy the deepest longing in your heart that's made only for him. He had the right question. Are you asking that today? Not just, how do I be saved the first time, but how do I live a life of meaning, of knowing you, Jesus? Number three, he asked the right person. God is the only trustworthy one to show the path to eternal life. That's why Jesus has this interesting dialogue when he calls him good man, and then Jesus is like, why do you call me good? For no one's good except for God alone. Now, we know that Jesus is not saying he's not God. He is God. He's asking the question of, don't just ask a good philosopher, a good teacher, what is the answer to this question? It's only God himself that can give you the right answer of eternal life. He asked the right person. He asked the right rabbi on this day. I used to work in sales, and one of the most important rules we had was find the decision maker. If you're trying to sign a contract, it doesn't matter how great our rapport, how great our relationship is, if you're not the ultimate one that can, that can sign the contract at the end, right? So you, we would teach our salespeople to make sure, ask, are you the one that can make this decision? Are you the one that can choose to give us you know, this deal? And if not, 
Find the person that can, because I want to deal with the decision maker. He found the right person. He found the one who could tell him about eternal life. And number four, the rich young ruler had the right zeal. It may have been misplaced, but he had zeal that the Lord commended. Jesus tells him the answer, if you want eternal life, it's the commandments. And he lists them off. Five, six, seven, and eight, and nine. This is sometimes referred to by scholars as the second law. You know, the first law is related to God, our relationship with him. Have no other gods before me. He's, you know, your first God. Don't make an idol. And then the second group is relationship with each other. It's vertical with God and horizontal with each other. He repeats, Jesus tells him all these. And the guys, and the, the rich young ruler has an opportunity to like say, hey, I've been doing this. I've been doing my best. I've been trying to live this way. And sometimes we, we can think, oh, he's just trying to live out of legalism. But here's the thing. Scripture actually says the man who obeys the law will live by it. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, Ezekiel 33, verse 1. Now, we don't believe that anyone is actually able to completely do all these things, right? There was only one. His name was Jesus. But he wasn't wrong. We sometimes think, oh, this guy was just all legalistic. He was like trying to just show off. No, I think he was, with the revelation he had, trying his best to, to love the Lord as God shared. But Jesus, as he loves to do, shows him that there was a little more here. Why he had the right zeal, there was still something he lacked. In that relationship with God, there was an obstacle. There was a barrier. And we know that it ends by him saying, after Jesus says, go and sell everything you have, one thing you lack, Jesus says, go and sell everything you have, and he walks away sad because he has great riches. And so number five is, despite all these right things, he has the wrong response. And so the question is for today, but why does he have the wrong response? Most of the teaching that I hear on this subject is focused on the money issue. And obviously, because of his assets and his wealth, that was the reason that there was a reason that he stumbled there. But I think that there's something else that can be easy to miss. I want you to look with me at verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, he loved him. And then he said, you lack one thing. Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor. This passage is, this story of the rich young ruler is actually in Matthew and Mark and Luke. But this is the only account that says this. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And then he says, go and sell everything. Here's what I think the issue was. He didn't really perceive Jesus looking at him and loving him. He didn't feel the gaze of Jesus on his heart. Because no sacrifice would be too big if we rightly saw his gaze upon us. Yes, money was a thing that was holding him down, his love for possessions, but it's because he didn't rightly see Jesus looking at him. Pastor John, would you bring something up? I want to give us an illustration here. All right, what is this? A vase. 
But not right now. This is not a vase. This is a trap, okay? It's particularly a monkey trap. Monkeys are very hard to catch, by the way. And so there were these hunters in Africa that devised this method to catch these difficult monkeys. And what they would do is they would put a fruit, probably a banana, they like bananas especially, they would put a banana into a trap like this. And here's the thing, it's very easy for us to figure out a solution. If you want this banana, how do you get it out? You just empty it out, right? Just let it fall and here it is. But monkeys, here's what they do. They go in there to get the fruit and then they make a fist and they're holding it and they can't let it go. So what happens is their hand stays in there until the, the hunters find them and then they get these monkeys. If only they would let that fist unclenched, you know, they would have it. But instead, they're so determined on holding on to it. And that's, that's the issue here. This man can not possibly let go. It's not just money. It's his place of security. It's his foundation. It's that which he's putting his trust in. And I believe it's because he hasn't rightly seen the Lord's look of love upon him. He was too afraid to let go of this security. There's a rule in, in Bible interpretation that you always want to study the context of the passage around it. What's the passage right before the rich young ruler? It's, it's the children entering the kingdom of God. In fact, the Bible says we're all to be like children who enter it. Because if you're not like a child, you can enter the kingdom of God. It's interesting that Jesus uses this exact expression when he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God in our passage. Now, what do we know about children? They trust, right? They're not thinking about, are my parents going to have money? Are they going to be able to support me? Usually not, unless they've had a lot of trauma with this and their parents are telling them. Kids trust that the security is there for them. But this man found his sense of security completely in the wealth that he had. He fell prey to this monkey trap. He just could not let go. He could not let go of this security that he had. If only he had seen the depth of love from this man with eyes of fire. We often think about the, the, the consequence of having to say yes to Jesus, the sacrifice. When I hear this passage... Preach. Do you know what the number one thing I hear people say to me? Well, Jesus doesn't tell everyone to sell everything. That's the thing I've heard over and over and over again. We try to deflect. We try to say, that's too intense. That, that's too much. And you're right. He doesn't actually tell everyone to sell everything. I don't think that's the application to this passage. I'm not telling you to go to your bank and pull everything out and give to our building fund. That's not what we're saying here today. But what we are saying is this. Do you not realize the invitation that this man had? Jesus looked at him and he loved him and he's saying, you can be part of my inner circle. You can be one of my disciples. And yet he missed those eyes of love. He didn't see that pearl of great price as scripture tells us. Because when we see the pearl of great price, it's worth, he is worth giving everything for. 
he didn't understand the truth of what would be his. And Jesus tells us to Peter, he says, anyone who's left, you know, mother and family and homes and fields, fields because of the wealth, you're going to get eternal life. There's going to be rewards more than you could ever imagine. But you're going to get me. And I found in my own life that when I struggle and I feel like the commitment is too great, and by the way, there are some days when I feel like that, that I'm like, why am I doing all this? You know, even just on Friday when I'm like working on the podcast and uploading the YouTube videos and all those things. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this is exhausting, Lord. But I realize when I get into a complaining spirit, it's because I haven't looked at him with those eyes of love in a while. I haven't felt his embrace and I'm thinking about this sacrifice, this cost is too much because my heart is callous when I haven't gazed upon his eyes. I want to end by sharing my own journey. As I said, this story of the rich young ruler has been meaningful for me in my life. From the time I was probably five, all I ever dreamed of was being a billionaire. Not just a millionaire, but I wanted to be the rich young ruler, basically. I don't know about the ruler part. I didn't want to work in a church or be in a synagogue, but definitely rich and young anyway. I wanted to be a titan of industry, a business mogul. When I was five years old, I did a field trip in New York City, and we went to the Empire State Building. The Empire State Building at the time was the tallest, or at least one of the tallest in the world. So impressive at a young, you know, when you're five and you're looking up and you can't even see the top. It just feels like it goes forever and ever. Basically like the Tower of Babel, right? You're just so in awe. And I was staring at the top and I said to my friend next to me, my friend Chris, we're two kindergarteners, and I said to him, wouldn't it be amazing one day to be at the top floor of that building, to own it? And he kind of laughs at me, thinks, thinking I'm acting a little silly, and he's like, ah, ha, ha, yeah, or something. I don't know what he said, but I got so, I do remember the feeling I had. I was angry because he thought I was just joking around. But I'm like, no, that's like what I want to do, you know? I wanted to be Donald Trump before I knew anything about him, basically. And to show how angry I was about his, his lack of faith in me, a month later, I remember we're, we're building blocks in a playtime in kindergarten, because that's what you do a lot in kindergarten, take naps and play with toys. And we're building, you know, these, this, this edifice, and his was much better than mine. I'm not very good with using, doing things with my hands. I still, to this day, don't like arts and crafts. My wife is amazingly talented at that, but for me, anything with my hands kind of stresses me out. And so his was really nice, and mine wasn't. And he wanted to show me. He wanted to show his, his best friend. We were both best friends. And he says, uh, Jacob, look at my building. And instead of saying, wow, that's awesome, you know what I did? Kicked it over. Because I was hurt that he didn't think I could be this rich, young, you know, ruler, basically. And that started a long journey for me where that was all I wanted. Maybe there was insecurity, there was pain in my heart that I thought I could use this to fill that, that void inside of me. And most of the decisions I made were based on that. I 
when I was 18, I began to play high-stakes poker and would play for like a few thousand dollars a time. I got into stock market investing. When I went to college, all I wanted to do was learn world domination. So I studied Chinese, studied Spanish. I was like, I'm going to try to learn you know, languages that, that are important for business. I ended up working, uh, doing an internship at Warner Brothers TV, experienced some of that. And then I ended up working at Groupon. At the time, it was known as the fastest growing company in the world. And I felt like I was on this journey. I was 24 years old and I managed 100 people in the city of Guangzhou. And yet, what happened? I began to feel empty, much like this man did. Despite achieving the success, the Lord let me experience the brokenness of this. I knew that money wasn't ultimately going to make me happy. But I began to feel like it all fell apart. I broke up with, or my, actually I should say my ex-girlfriend broke up with me. And that was one of those things that triggered immense pain. If anyone has had, you know, a breakup with a relationship, many times that's the time that God is calling you to him. That pain. And also feeling like I wasn't feeling that sense of, of satisfaction in my career anymore. And in that place, I began to cry out to the Lord for the first time. And ask the questions of, how can I have eternal life? What happened is I went to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City on September 8th, desperate for a quick fix. I ran to Jesus, asking, basically, how can I feel better? How can I find you? Desperate for something to change. I had built my whole life on self-help. I would stand in the mirror and say, Jacob, you're the master of your... By the way, I would call myself Jake. I would say, Jake, you're the master of your own destiny. You can achieve anything you want. And by the way, that worked until it didn't anymore, until that pain didn't go away. And in that place, I was so desperate. So I went to the International House of Prayer, and I had a dream the night that I arrived there on September 8th, 2012. And in the dream, I was asked three questions, and I believe it was the Lord's questions to me. And it was, Jacob, are you satisfied in your career? I said, no. Second question was, do you believe you will be satisfied? And I said, no. And then the third question is, well, then what are you doing? Quit your job and stay here. I woke up and I'm freaked out. Like, how can I quit my job? I spent my whole life trying to, trying to build this up. This is all I've ever wanted. You know, I'm working for a billionaire. That's, that's the plan that I wanted. But I, I kept wondering, what if that dream was actually real? What if that was God answering those longings in my heart? The next day in the prayer room, I brought my Bible that I brought to the International House of Prayer, this old thing. And in the back of this Bible, I began to write out prayers as I sat before the Lord. This messy handwriting that's here. And I began to just pray, gush my heart out to Him. And I want to read a portion of that. I said, Lord... Remove greed in my heart. I rejoice in your love, the anchor for my soul. Lord, feed me now. I am desperate for more. I am committed when I am encountering the right thing. Give me strength and conviction to accept what God has in store for me. Help me to see, feel, and walk with you. I am ready for refreshment, renewal. Encounter my heart with your love. I need to taste again. I need to see that you are good. Let me see the beauty of who you are. Draw me into the place of encounter. 
All other things are rubbish compared to knowing you. And the next day, God answered that, that prayer. The next day, he says this to me. He says, those who waste their time seeking me are rich. God was inviting me into a life of wasting my life for him. But it was worth it. It was 100% worth it. I, I felt the Lord say, now is the time. I got on my knees on September 9th of 2012, and I said, Lord, from this moment on, Jacob Augustine belongs to you. I gave him my life, and I began to weep for three hours and just began to journal, you know, in my Bible. And it was still scary, to be honest, to quit my job and my career. Some of my friends and people that I knew tried to intervene. They were like, don't you think we could, like, take it a, li- you know, a little bit step by step? Are you involved in some cult? What do they do? Like, they pray all night? Or do they, do they make you sleep deprived? You know, people tried to get me from going, on the, uh, from going into the deep end, basically. But I knew that I had seen his eyes of love to me. And when this last week and I'm like struggling and trying to work tech and VB, things I'm not that good at, I have to remember when I get into a, a spirit of feeling like, God, this is too much. When Amy and I are, you know, fighting at times, it's like, God, this is too much. When things aren't working out like you think they are, God, this is too much. I remember I got to get into the place of presence. I have to run after him and say, Lord, I want eternal life. I want to know you. I need to feel your presence. I need to feel your pleasure. Because when I see his eyes, when I see his eyes, it is worth giving up everything for. And I would do it again. And, and I was debating on whether or not to share this, but I just... I want to share it. On September 9th, as I said, is when I gave my life to the Lord. Nine years later, my wife did a pregnancy test. And we're having a baby. It's worth it. (laughs) It is worth it. Look into those eyes of love. And... What he'll be asking you to give up is different for everyone. My calling for you today is not to give up, you know, get, go to the bank and take your money out. It's, I'm not going to tell you you should give up that relationship you're, you're in. I don't know. That's for Jesus alone. He's the decision maker to tell you what he's asking you to give up. What I'm saying is this. We need to put ourselves in a position where we can see him looking at us with those eyes of love. Because then when the question is called for sacrifice, and it will be called, I promise you it will be called, every disciple is asked to give up things, take up their cross, and follow him. That's just, that's just how it is. I don't want to lessen that for you to make it easier. Perhaps this rich young ruler tried to go find another teacher who would be more accommodating. I'm not going to be more accommodating and say there's another way. Jesus will ask you to sacrifice, and it will be costly. What I am saying is that if you see his eyes of love, it will be worth it. And the reward is far greater than you can ever, ever ask or imagine. Worship team, would you come up, please? We all have the rich young ruler in us. And again, it may be other things. That calling for surrender 
may not be money, it may be vocation, it may be lifestyle, it may be identity. Again, uh, that's not my call for you. My calling is if we do not see his eyes of love, you too, I too, will walk away sad. Even after that encounter I had nine years with the Lord, if I'm not looking at his eyes today, I will walk away sad because it feels too costly. I need regular renewal of seeing his eyes of love. Matthew 7 verse 14 says, The way is hard that leads to life. The road of Christianity is in fact a narrow one. But then also we're told that his burden is light. His yoke is easy. How can it be light and difficult? I'll tell you why. It's if you're looking at his eyes of love. Though you will have difficulty, though you will ask to surrender, though you will have challenges in your workplace and relationships, if you see those eyes, his yoke is easy. I want you to believe this today, that you are the Lord's favorite one. That can seem like a pretty crazy thing to believe. But John 15 says, with the same measure that the Father loves Jesus, He loves you. Even when you feel disqualified, even when you feel like you're in sin, Jesus looks at you and you are His favorite one. You are His friend. Even Judas. Did you know Judas was called Jesus' friend? You know when he said that? It's when he was being taken away. When Judas was giving him up to the authorities, Jesus says, my friend. Jesus is looking at you right now and saying, you are my favorite one. He's looking at you with eyes of love. And he's saying, I'm inviting you to be part of my inner circle. Don't think about what I'm going to be asking you to give up, because he will. I want you to see his eyes today. You guys, he looks at you with burning eyes of love. And here's the thing. It's not only his look to you. It says this in Song of Solomon chapter 4, that you have ravished his heart with one glance of your eyes. One glance, not an hour of your eyes. One look upon Jesus. You may have not looked at him in a while. He's saying, I just want one glance. I want you to see the eyes I'm looking at you. Give me one glance back and you have one over his heart. He doesn't just win over yours. You win over his heart. All it takes is one glance. And no matter what the cost is, it is meaningless compared to the riches of in Christ Jesus. And so I'm going to, as Brian will be leading us in a worship song, I'm going to pray this prayer over us that we would read as a prayer many times at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City for the spirit of wisdom and revelation upon your hearts that you individually would see the Lord speaking over you, that you would feel his unquenchable love for you today. Ephesians chapter 1, 17 to 18. I'm asking God, 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would give to everyone here, every individual here, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they would know you better. This is eternal life, that you would know him better. I pray that you would know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. May your heart be enlightened today. As Brian is worshiping, leading us in this worship, I pray that you would see his eyes. Even Jesus needed to see what he was going for. Did you know that it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was looking at you. He was looking at your eyes. He was looking at what he would receive in his inheritance in you. And that joy is what enabled him to have courage to endure the cross. You will not have courage if you do not see the joy that is before you. If you do not see the joy that is in his eyes. If you do not see the delight and the love that he has for you. No surrender will be able to happen for you without that joy. Lord Jesus, enlighten our hearts today. We need to see that glance in your eyes. In Jesus' name I pray.